Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. Good morning. It's a lovely day. It is Mother Nature Will Kill You in the morning, which we haven't done in a while. Yeah, we haven't. I, uh, it was going to be a rough situation for me either way, but I'm glad to do it in the morning this morning. Yeah. I got done with Ocean Fest yesterday, so that's finally in the books. (laughs) My first one in Key West, and I... It, I was up at 5 a.m. yesterday. I was out the door by 6 p.m. And then I got home at 7, 7.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. So like a good 12 hour plus day for me yesterday. And I was outside in the sun all day on my yep. feet all day. And I had, I think it was tw- when I was driving home, I was like 10 minutes from home. And I looked at my watch just to check like my step count and it was over 21,000 steps is what I had. That's a lot of steps. And (laughs) I woke up, I, I got, surprisingly, I wasn't as tired yesterday as I was anticipating myself to be like after the event. But once I got home and I ate dinner and I sat down, (laughs) I was like, Oh, I should go lay in bed right now. (laughs) And once I laid in bed, I also showered. So I don't think I'm gross. I did shower too. Um, but once I laid down, I could feel like how achy and jello like my legs were. Mm-hmm. And I had put new sheets on my bed and everything. And it was one of those moments where you're just like, oh, it's so nice to be in bed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the best. New sheets are yeah. the best. And so what do you morning- do at Ocean oh, Fest? Uh, well, so the last four months of my life, we're planning for it. And so it's, um, it's an event in the city of Key West. So you have to get a permit from a city to use the space. And then since we have, um, alcohol vendors, we have to get a temporary alcohol permit and all of that has to get signed by different people. And just, you know, all that approval, we have to get waste management to get, um, the roll off dumpsters for like all the trash and the city Mm -hmm. brings like all the trash cans and the recycling bins. We have to secure four musicians for like the live music. Um, We have to get enough food vendors and beer vendors. We have to rent tents from like party rentals companies. So is it put on by moat then? Yeah, it's put on by moat. It's so it's an event that moat has been hosting for like the past 10 or 12 years and proceeds from the event 
come back to support their coral reef research and restoration programs. So it's a fundraiser essentially. And, um, it's a family friendly event and there are, or I'm sorry, it's a family friendly event and it's free. So it's, there's like no admission or anything, but the vendor fee is, you know, kind of pricey depending on like how new you are to, you know, being like an artist and vendor. So we have like artists and vendors and food and beer vendors. You have nonprofit vendors this year. We made a, a conservation village. So it was really more for like the select uh, conservation nonprofit vendors that do more interactive things with the, yeah. the people. And then Sea Camp had a touch tank with like urchins and sea cucumbers and things like that. Um, the Turtle Hospital brought one of their little green sea turtles named Cheese. So it's cute. Yeah. So like that was kind of, and like Moat has a mobile exhibit. That's like a clamshell coral reef exhibit. And Mm -hmm. it has like a a inside and an outside with a TV in the middle that just plays on a loop. It's a whole deal. It's a whole deal. The keys energy comes down and they give bucket rides. So like those buckets that they go up to fix the power lines, they just take people up in them and they can see like over the whole event and like, (laughs) part of the island and everything that's and Alex and I wanted to go up in it but we wanted to do the big one and there was like 20 knot gusts so it got too windy for us to go up in the big one but I I didn't get to go up in the big one and take a picture of the event but I told them I was like can you guys like send me any photos of like yeah what you guys took so I have them on file um but yeah it was it was a big event and you know our CEO comes down every year for it too so it's like all the little things that make it stressful, like following up mm-hmm. with like, that's always my least favorite part of any project that I work on because like, I want to do the science. I don't want to like get my head into the nitty gritty, like business admin side of like, oh, we have to purchase this. We have to do it from like all of these organizations first before we can get to your organization that you want to like buy your product from. And I'm like, I'm a geneticist. There are only a very few amount of companies that sell these products. Like, yeah. Like I can't do, do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot. And um, yeah, no, it was a good day all around. It was, everyone seemed very happy. So overall, Ocean Fest was good, and yeah. I'm glad that it's done. Yeah, and um, I'm just really exhausted now because gotcha. I, when we said that we would do 10 a.m. this morning, I was like, "Yeah, I'll be up." Because Waylon gets me up at 6 a.m. Like I'm probably gonna go to bed early. I'll be fine. I got up at 6 a.m., fed him, and let him out, and then I crashed for like another three hours. Yeah, and I was like out cold. Yeah, and. I woke up and I could hardly open my eyes. Like it took me a minute to get them even like half open. They were just yeah. so heavy. And that's why I have coffee. It's a bit coffee today. <laughs> <laughs> well, then uh, I guess we can get going. Um, congrats on being done with that. Cause I know that's a big event for you Yeah, every year. It's done. Yeah. Um, I actually, so I have a news story. <laughs> Yeah, and before you go to your news story, can we talk about how Corey cut himself on your whatever it oh, is? A mandolin <laughs> slicer? Yeah. Yeah, so you know how, like, um, sometimes, like, crinkle fries look where they're, like, yeah. wavy? That was what he was doing to a um, so cucumber. Got a finger. 
Um, yeah. So he basically like crinkle fry cut his finger mm-hmm. <laughs> and we found the piece of his finger gross in the mandolin slicer. I thought it was a, uh, um, cucumber seed, but it was not, it was his finger. So, yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, God. so he didn't do anything about it the first night. Cause he was like, I, I don't want to go to the ER cause they're just going to make me or urgent care. Cause they're just going to make me pay $90 to do the same thing that we're doing now, which is wrap it up and wait for yeah. it to stop bleeding. But the second night, like it was or the second day was like, eh, still kind of bleeding a little bit, but it wasn't like crazy. But then the, at the end of the day, we took it off and it was just so much. Blood. <laughs> I was oh, like, God, you need to go to urgent care. <laughs> yeah, like maybe you need like a stitch or two. They didn't stitch it up. No, they just wrapped it. They just cleaned it and wrapped it in a pressure bandage. So they said it's going to keep bleeding. I was like, okay, all right. Well, so I've been playing doctor all weekend. Is it Um, like in a spot where like it's going to keep opening because it's like how he uses his hands? That's part of it because it's on the very tip of the finger. And yeah, being out sampling, it's like you kind of can't get your wounds infested with bacteria. So... No, I, uh, so yeah, so Corey did that this weekend and, um, and that's, that's been kind of an, um, a fun time and by fun time, I mean, not at all, but he did get a, um, a note from the doctor basically saying that he can't do a great majority of his job for the next week. So he's going to be stuck recording data and driving boats for a little while. (laughs) That's annoying. (laughs) No touching fish. (laughs) I almost commented on his Facebook post and was like, oh, it looks like we have another survivor story today with like a winky face. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, not quite. And not nature caused. He was just trying to slice some veggies and he wasn't using the safety thing because he was lazy. And that's what you get. Yeah. So in there. <laughs> yep. Um, so I actually have a, another really good feel good missing dog rescue story oh. is very similar to the one that we talked about where the dog was like in the marsh and they saved him with a drone. Yeah. Um, with the sausage tied uh-huh. to the drone. Um, Cause this one also takes place in the UK. I don't know what it is about the UK being super dangerous for dogs, but apparently it is <laughs> somehow. Um, so this took place in Bosque Castle. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's a town in Cornwall, which is, is B-O-S-K. On, it is B B O S and then Castle. Oh, okay. Boss Castle. They always say things really weird over there that yeah you don't don't make sense for like phonetically but yeah um so this dog was presumed dead because it went missing um when the owners um took a walk with the dog along a southwest coast path on friday april 8th and he couldn't be found by uh, rescuers. So they thought that he was dead because literally two members of the Coast Guard rescue team like went around with drones. They searched the whole area um, for like 24 hours. There was still no sign of him. And so they thought that the dog was dead. Um, 
It was concluded that the dog had probably fallen down a fissure, a narrow rock opening and died. Um, apparently there's a lot of fissures. They're like really, really small caves almost sort of like, yeah, I'll, like I'll send you, ground. I'll send you the link so you can see where they actually ended up finding this dog. It literally is a hole in the ground. Like you can see the rescuers going down into the hole. Um, but basically what happened was they got a report of a barking dog, like people who are living oh. in the houses nearby could hear a dog, but they did not know where the dog was coming. Like the noise was coming from, they couldn't see yeah. the dog. So they called in and I guess they went out and found the dog stuck down a 20 foot fissure, fissure yeah. into the ground. 20 foot crack in the ground. Yeah. And so the team went down using a rope rescue tri- kit to retrieve Henry. And oh, his name's Henry. Yeah. Oh, he looks like a Henry. He does. He looks like a spaniel mix. That's what I was going to say. Like a spaniel like, hound kind of. Mix. Yeah, like a Britney spaniel me, or so like a like Springer that. spaniel kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they brought down with them a sausage roll for him. Yeah, the title of this is super yeah. cute too. <laughs> so there's our connection. There's a UK connection, and we're also rescuing dogs with yes. the aid of sausage once again. <laughs> and sausage? I guess the technician had the sausage roll with him. Oh, just and... like as a snack in his pocket? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's kind of like a Slim Jim, right? Maybe over there they, they say sausage, but they probably like it could be like a Slim Jim type of thing. Oh, no, they're like legitimately like kind of pigs in a blankety, but better. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or like uh, what we call kolaches here. Um, I don't even know what a kolache is. I it's know a what a very can Texas of sausage thing. is and a can are. <laughs> <laughs> um, there it's like a good sausage like a breakfast sausage I feel like and wrapped in mm. pastry with like everything bagel kind of seeds on top that I only know good. that from the Great British Bake Off but yeah that's what a sausage roll is um sounds like that'd be good here we have kolaches in Texas which is kind of a bastardized version of a Czech dessert but they've taken them and made them savory here because there's a lot of Czech people here and it's a sausage and pastry with typically cheese and jalapenos down here because it's Texas. But anyway, anyway, we're on a tangent. Yeah, it went, they both look good, but this looks good. <laughs> yeah, they're a kolache tangent. So anyway, so after approximately 30 minutes of shuffling and squeezing into this crack and lassoing the dog, we managed to lead the dog and pull him up to safety um, to the obviously overjoyed and happy owners. Um, so another wonderful rescue nice. by a good rescue by UK uh, first responders of a sweet puppy. And he is very, very cute. He's got a good face. He does got a good face. But so scary that like that hole in the ground. Imagine falling down that as a person. You totally could. Yeah, it's like that, it's wide enough for a person. All the brush and stuff around it, like if you just, you wouldn't be able to see and you just step in and and there you go. And then you're stuck down there. So scary. So yeah, no, thank you. Just another way to be afraid of, of the earth. Um. (laughs) Yeah. When I, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, 
And because it's probably because I saw some TikTok or Instagram or something and someone was like on the edge of a cliff, like panning around and it was really pretty. But in my head, I was like, God, that shit freaks me out. Like, yeah, just no. being on the edge of something like that. Like even at Horseshoe Bend in the Grand Canyon, I was like, wow, that's a cool crack in the earth. But I'm like, I don't want to get very close to it. <laughs> I got up right it to the edge because of course I did because I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah. I just had to do it. Like during can- the Grand Canyon or Horseshoe Bend? Uh, Grand Canyon. I don't know where we were. It was a while ago, but yeah, we got right up to, the- I- it was probably near Horseshoe Bend because that's where the big touristy area is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, the Grand Canyon, they have the, um, well, some of some parts do have the railing there. My cousin and I went to a spot that didn't have the railing, but like you could sit over mm-hmm. like, and we did that, which was fine. But um, Horseshoe Bend was one that like actually really freaked me out more because um, I had Waylon with me mm-hmm. and he was like, he pulled like really right to the edge and looked over and I was like, all right, <laughs> a little, <laughs> a little too close for me. If you go over, I'm going over. Like. <laughs> Fun fact about me, about canyons. I guess this is a small survival story that I don't remember at all. Did you Um, fall down a canyon? No, I came very close. Oh my God. (laughs) I was three. We were in, is this canyon in Georgia that is made, was made from just massive farm erosion and runoff. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. You got to go check it out because it's, it looks like, I can't, I don't even know how to, it looks like a legitimate grand canyon yeah providence canyon so it has it is a not it's not zion in georgia geez i know um so it's not actually a natural feature it's um made from erosion due to poor farming practices in the 19th century the Hmm. deepest of which is more than 150 feet and so yeah so we went there because we lived in Georgia when I was a little kid. My dad was at, stationed at Fort Benning and I was three, I guess. And I, my mom or dad wasn't entirely watching me. And I just kind of wandered off into some brush away from like the railing area. And my mom said that she call, had to call my name in a very, very calm way once she saw where I was headed, which was straight for the edge. Oh, I'm sure. Cause like, you know, then you freak out too. Exactly. Like, to make you freak out. Yeah. And bring me back. My to mom would edge. have not been calm. I can tell you that. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> my mom has such a cool head under pressure, which is great and probably saved my life that day. <laughs> so. Yeah. So yeah. Canyon talk with Julian and Haley. Yeah. I mean, it looks, it looks really cool, but yeah. It so, does. That's... <laughs> so I almost fell off of that. Um... <laughs> it's on the border of Georgia and Alabama for anyone wondering. Yeah. So go check it out. Benning. Providence Canyon. Don't let your kids fall off the edge. That's my PSA. All right. Yeah. So let's get into our main story. Yeah. We're going to talk about a kind of uplifting story today. Good. Which I think we need after the so too. after the cave <laughs> diving episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like those almost never end well, which is why the, uh, what's it called? The um, Thai cave rescue is so amazing. <laughs> but today we're going to go on a little uh, tropical vacation, which 
I'm sure many of you may feel that you're needing right about now, especially up in the north where it's been ridiculously cold up there. But so we are going today to Tonga, which is where is Tonga? Is that it Canada? is in the middle of the South Pacific. Okay. Um, it's kind of near Australia, New Zealand, but also very much not. Um, it's that's probably the place it's closest to that anybody okay. knows about. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I feel like a lot of people don't really know about the different island nations in the Pacific or South Pacific, which is a huge area um, that's just dotted with these little islands that um it looks you know. super pretty but i feel like it's very like primitive and they're very protective of their space so you could get in trouble if you were to just like pop over there no no i mean um yeah actually tonga is a kingdom um it's run by a monarchy of tongans and um very, they're very much you know their own nation their own people um I would say primitive in the sense that they don't have huge skyscrapers and stuff like that. And in some ways, yes, they would be protective, but I think many of the uh, uh, Pacific Island nations are welcoming of uh, tourism because it's probably one of their main sources of, of GDP often in these areas. Um, I will say though, that is not true for Hawaii. Um, at, At least the Hawaiian native people, as much as they, I feel like, do want to share what they have with people, um, a lot of tourists have come in and kind of ruined it for everybody, as well as the fact that the U.S. kind of stole their nation from them, uh, or illegally. Technically, the Kingdom of Hawaii should still be in control of Hawaii, but because we came in and basically took it from them. So fun fact about Hawaii, if you didn't know that, Go look into the history of Hawaii. It's fucking wild. Um, But Tonga is still uh, owned, I guess, and controlled by Tongans. They think they might be a protectorate of like New Zealand or Australia. I'm not entirely sure. There's Mm -hmm. some association with those countries. Anyway, so great place to go check out if you're willing to spend the cash to (laughs) get a plane ticket there. That's super cool. I mean, like just the blue water with the tall rocks or yeah I, I don't what would you even call those like it's part of land it looks like but it's just a very tall rock in the middle of the ocean volcanic islands I guess I guess it kind of reminds me of like the coast of Oregon I've never yeah. been to the coast of Oregon but I've seen pictures and like you know how like on the coast they have those tall rocks out in the ocean yeah that's they're like nice. rock stacks yeah yeah that's a, that's the vibe I'm getting right now yeah they do have a lot of flat uh sandy tropical atolls as well um, mm-hmm. as well as volcanic islands. So they're, they're very um, much the tropical Pacific vibe they got going on. So yeah, but yes, they are very much in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. When you look at a map. <laughs> yeah. No, and definitely is middle. this is the country that was impacted by that tsunami that we talked about earlier I was this year. Just about to ask. Yeah. Yes. So that is this country. So they're still trying to recover <clears throat> from that especially those smaller islands that were greatly impacted so all right so now that we've talked about Tonga (laughs) yeah sorry I'm just so fascinated with like the Pacific um island if over there because I've never 
it sounds so bad, but I always forget about it. And then yeah. like, when we bring it up, I'm like, holy shit. Like, it's that looks wild. so cool. Like, I would want to go there. But then yeah. I'm also just like, that's a very far away away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would highly recommend anybody who wants to learn more about, like, the South Pacific as a whole. So that's anywhere from Hawaii to Australia. Um, there's this book called, uh, blue latitudes by Tony Horowitz. That is about basically James cook, quote unquote, discovered these areas. And, um, it kind of goes through the history of that in context with kind of what the native, uh, peoples of that region saw the first encounter was like for them. But it's also a buddy comedy where the author and his Australian friend go around and kind of discuss the politics and like the lasting impact of white uh, colonization on these areas today. And it's really, really interesting and very eye opening. And it's kind of like my starting place for understanding more about this region um, from the uh, context of the native people, because I feel like they're their narrative kind of gets wiped out a lot of the times in like modern day history interpretations. Yeah, for sure. So it's a good one. I'm guessing that the Cook Islands in the South Pacific is named after the man who found the islands. Yes. James Cook. So, which none of them like him. So, (laughs) so that's okay. Got it. Yeah. They probably hate that Island then. (laughs) No, I mean, that's just what it got named after, but which yeah. happens a lot. But anyway, yeah, especially Hawaiians, they killed him. So little oh. uh, spoiler there. They ended up kill they were the ones who ended up killing him. So Oh. Oh yeah. I should look into Hawaiian history then. It's fascinating. Don't know anything about it. It's excellent. Um okay, so mm-hmm. we're going to reel it in now that I've given you some resources to go check yeah. out. Um we're going to talk today about the Tongan castaways or what's been dubbed the Tongan Lord of the Flies. <laughs> I put that in quotations because it does not mirror the Lord of the Flies whatsoever if you've ever read that book, but we'll get into it. When you said castaways, my brain went to that audio of yeah. the backyard again. <laughs> castaways. <laughs> yeah, I was castaways. Like, that audio audio that was like everywhere like two summers ago and now yeah okay so many of us were forced to read William Golding's classic novel The Lord of the Flies which I have read I don't remember entirely what went on but I have the general idea so it's a story about a group of British boys who end up stranded um, on an island in the middle of the ocean and basically about their descent into chaos from order. It's a very bleak look at the breakdown of society when there is no more society and how the survival of the fittest and the biggest and the strongest bully rolls and empathy and compassion goes right out the window. Um, And it was a startling novel at the time. It was written in 1954 um, and was regarded as a sharp criticism of the cushion of British, i.e. Western society, and how we are, too, no more than beasts at our core. And when I say beasts, I do not mean this from my own opinion, but in British society in the time of the 1950s, 
they kind of regarded non-white people as especially in um other nations yeah as uh lesser than as and i this is not my word savages savages right yeah like in pocahontas like in pocahontas and it's just partially because they had colonized this region of the world for so long and you know introducing christianity introducing western society because they thought it was the best and better and all that bullshit so this book was basically like hey when you take away these nice things we have too you you end up like them too how scary is that you'll be like them yeah and so it's a very kind of slightly racist or more than slightly is a very racist approach um and interpretation of that whole idea so while this take is problematic at best, many people consider the main message to be a vein of truth, as it is often the case that when times get hard, people tend to become selfish and turn on each other, which yeah. I mean, just take a note of the things that have happened in the past couple of years or even hell Black Friday at Walmart. It's chaos. Yeah. And what was the one episode we talked about with the the lighthouse keeper that yeah. died and then it was like all the women and children were... the clipperton atoll where yeah. he enslaved all of them yep yeah yeah because yeah. all of the men died yeah yeah and and i think in some cases that is true i think it's not so much a uh, matter of your uh, ethnicity um but more of your like inner person like your morals and your and it's super interesting when you get down to all like the the morals of everyone and how they're all different because that's like a very nature nurture yeah discussion I mean and you could take two people from the same ethnic or socioeconomic background and they could have two completely different responses to this kind of um like event happening to them Mm -hmm. right so However, in 2020, an author, Rutger Bergman, put together a collection of true stories called Humankind, A Hopeful History, with the aim of bringing forward beautiful stories of human compassion during hardship. And this is the story that we're going to talk about today is one from Bergman's, or Bregman's, sorry, Bregman's book. After the book was released, this story was brought from relative obscurity into the limelight once more and became known as the Tongan Lord of the Flies. Um, But this story has a very different ending than Golding's depressing depiction of human group survival. Um, And so instead I'm choosing to call this the story of the Tongan castaways. Castaways. (laughs) So we're going to try to change this narrative of both, um, you know, people of, of color um, who are not brought up in Western society, as well as what happens when you have a group survival situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story begins on the island of Tonga Tapu, which is the largest island of the nation in Tonga, which is a small island nation located in the middle of the South Pacific we talked about. Um, so six Tongan boys were all students at a Catholic boarding school, Anuka Alofa, which is the capital of Tonga. Their names 
Huh? Just ha- would you like the Google sound? Just like type it into the Google search bar and then click the sound button for like the enunciation. I know I meant to do that. And then I totally fucking blanked. So we're going to okay. butcher our with way. it. Mm-hmm. So their names are Sion Fatawa, Kolo Fekitoa, Luke Vecchioso, and Sion or Mano Toa. Total, sorry, that's Total. And then there were two other boys, one named Steven and one named David, and I could not track down last names for them. I'm sure they're probably oh. in uh, Rutger Bregman's book, um, but I was not able to find them through my search on the internet because this story is relatively, there's not a lot about it. So um, at some point I would like to purchase this book. <laughs> Yeah. I was not able to um, before putting the story together. But um, so when I figure that out, I will let y'all know what their last names were. Um, so the youngest of these boys are, was 13 and the oldest was 16. So they're in their Aww. teens. Yeah. Still young babies, though. Right. Still children. Um, they were uh bored and tired of their strict catholic school life which bitch feel that <laughs> yeah <laughs> for those that don't know i went to catholic school from like kindergarten to eighth grade so <laughs> <laughs> well so the you'll really uh reflect with their choices in this um, yeah sure i'll empathize a lot with them <laughs> so they decided to escape from their school life um to try to sail to fiji which is another island nation about 500 miles away. <laughs> 500 miles? Is that far for sailing? I mean, it's, yes. It depends. It-, it depends what, I mean, it's not the farthest you can sail. And it's probably their close, one of their closest next door neighbors as far as uh, countries are concerned. I'm just trying to think of like what 500 miles from here to some other place in Florida would be. Okay, so... I'll put this in perspective, a thousand, there's about a thousand, no, sorry, 1500 miles from Miami, Florida to, uh, Boston. Um, so, uh, from Florida to maybe South Carolina, North Carolina, that's 500. Okay. Or Georgia, probably more likely Georgia. So that's like a couple hours of a drive. So it's like a couple hours of a sail. No, it's Couple days of a sail days. Oh yeah. Okay. Sailing's so a lot slower. Do not, okay. I just don't thought go, if the wind was right, that they would know. go the same speed. Like a car could go <laughs> the fastest. You could probably go on like a conventional boat would be like 20 miles per hour. Oh yeah. Okay. So then yeah, definitely days. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, that was their plan though. Right. And yeah. so, um, they decided that they were going to borrow and once again, I quote borrow. Yeah. So they straight up stole a boat from Taniela Uhila, who was a fisherman that the boys didn't like. (laughs) And I understand that the feeling was mutual. The only supplies they packed were two sacks of bananas, coconuts, a small gas burner. They had no map or compass, so they were like super They were ready. literally just winging this shit. <laughs> <laughs> they were probably thinking like, oh, well, our ancestors were like really cool, like navigators. We could probably do it too, right? <laughs> God, dumb teenage boys. <laughs> I know, right? 
but I understand wanting to leave Catholic school and try to set sail for Fiji. That, oh, that for I, sure. I get I, that. But like, <laughs> let's use our brains a little bit more guys. Come on. <laughs> uh, the boys left on a calm, clear day and no one saw them leave the Harbor as they were essentially stealing a boat and did not want to attract attention. Um, yeah. And like, you can't really do our number one rule, which is always tell someone where you're going. If you're stealing a boat and you don't right. want attention so. and, and running away from Catholic school. Yeah. yeah, That's kind of a problem. <laughs> so this started off as like a heist movie and then kind of turns into, um, uh, is it the castaway? Yes. That's the, the, uh, movie with Tom Hanks. Right. <laughs> Away. Yeah, where he's like Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so they all fell asleep on the first afternoon. All of them. Oh, see, you gotta have one person that stays awake. <laughs> That's called on watch. <laughs> uh, and a few hours later, they awoke to dark and stormy seas with water crashing over the boat. That's fun. That's a fun alarm clock. Yeah. So they hoisted the sail, but the wind tore it to shreds, which you shouldn't hoist a sail in a storm. Can you take the sails down? That's like sailing 101. <laughs> I mean, maybe they were like, cool, more wind. We can use this. And they like, we'll go faster. <laughs> Let's go faster. Gotta get out of this shit storm. Um, and then the rudder ended up breaking, so they were unable to steer. Um, cool. So the ship was battered to hell throughout the night and was no longer sailable. So Sounds like a perfect sailing day. Really fucking great start. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to lay it on the fact that they were teenage boys, yeah. that this this plan did not go the way they were hoping. Um, so they drifted for eight days without food or water. Don't you die after four? All right. So not four days without water, water. They did manage to collect rainwater in hollowed out coconut shells, which was okay. All that sustained them as they had lost their food and they were not successful in catching fish. They were probably literally skin and bones. Yeah. Those teenage boys are like scrawny to begin with. Right. Oh, not these ones. These ones are fucking beefcakes, but we'll oh, get really? to- <laughs> Okay. Hongans are like built naturally. Like it's yeah, a thing. They yeah. got some muscle mass on them. Yeah. It's similar to like Samoans. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Similar okay, gotcha, kind of. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so beefcakes. on the eighth day, <laughs> they spotted a small island. Um, the island's name was Atta um, and was unknown to them and was considered uninhabitable and was not so much more than a mass of rock with some vegetation, which you can see on the first slide. Yeah. It's, there's not a beach really. That's the it's issue. Not. It's just like a, it's just straight up like a, a rock jutting out of the ocean. Yeah. It's got some greenery on it, but it's like very steep incline and it's jagged and it's uninhabitable. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask why it was uninhabitable, but I figured I wouldn't jump the gun this time. <laughs> I, uh, m- my ADD brain just like spits shit out sometimes. I, I know it's about, funny. Like, Cause I'm like, I'm getting there. I'm fucking I know, getting like, there. I just gotta keep my mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> um, and you can see the location of this Island 
in juxtaposition to both Tonga and Fiji, which was their destination. So Fiji is that large island um, on the left side of the map. Tonga is on the bottom. And the little red pointer is on Ata, the island that they were stuck on. Um, yeah, so it's like a little southwest of Tonga, and then they are very uh, southeast from Fiji. Yeah, so they drifted, I guess, southeast away from both Tonga and Fiji. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so not great. No. Not what I think they originally were going for. Um, well, so I mean, like, that's what happens when you don't have someone, like, awake. <laughs> <laughs> like taking care of like what did they think they were gonna do just hop on a boat and like you know like a tesla or just like automatically drives you to where you want to go tesla? look man i don't sailboats. i don't know what goes on in a teenage boy's brain other than neither titties 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 i know god <laughs> so that's that's all and I we both say. have brothers too and we still don't know no <laughs> i feel like my brother would be more prepared though but to be fair, he probably had a lot more uh, introduction and education on wilderness survival than these individuals did just because yeah. of his privilege and the fact that my dad was a crazy outdoorsman for most of his life. So I don't know if my brother would ever do this, like take a boat and then try to go sail. I think if he was like pissed at someone, he'd probably just like damage their boat. Right. <laughs> But I mean, they were also trying to get away from Catholic school. So there's, there's that too. Um, so they see this island, Atta, and they did not arrive to the island until nighttime. So Menno decided to swim to shore and he told the boys, we have to say a prayer first before I hop into the sea. Um, because he was scared he wouldn't actually make it. Um, yeah, I mean, at least they're still keeping their faith. Yep. Um, it's all they got at this point. Yeah. Uh, so Mano had a hard time reaching the island because he was very weak from the eight day ordeal. Uh, but once he reached the shore, he could only call out to the others that he was alive because he was so exhausted. He just lay on the shore. Um, and eventually the others swam to shore as well. Now that they knew that they could actually reach it. Um, it's also super crazy to think about that. They were eight days without food. And hardly any water. And then they had to swim. How, how far was the swim, you said? I don't know. I mean, it was, they had seen it from their boat. So I don't think okay. it was super duper far. Um, but and, still it's far. I mean, it's whatever the distance is, even if you could see it from your boat, like without having eight days of food, that's definitely. Yeah. That's hard. Well, and they were certainly within shouting distance because they could hear him yeah. when he reached shore. So I think they'd like drifted towards it all day kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So upon arriving on the island, the teens decided to try to make the best of a bad situation, considering they had not had food in days. Um, they initially survived on whatever fish they could catch from like the surrounding reefs um, because they all knew how to fish, you know, mm -hmm. growing up on an island nation, you just kind of know. Um, fish with like just the hand lining was that yeah. their style yeah that's uh one form of fish catching there's actually another form that's really interesting i don't know if tongans do it but i know hawaiians do it um where they basically build a um 
oh god what are they called they're basically like a big weir to they they build up all these rocks and basically make this big um like corral for fish and they just kind of funnel the fish into the corral and then once they're in there they can't escape kind of like the same concept of a a a crab track but like big and you build it with rocks there's a name for that kind of fishing and I cannot remember what it is called but anyway really cool I saw one in when I was in Hawaii like a very ancient one that they're maintaining which is super cool but that's cool yeah so I don't know if they kind of use some of those methods or if they're just hand lining I'm not really sure but those are two of the ways I know that you could do when I think about hand lining, I just think of like how hard it would be if you got something very large and like, I just feel like my, I would just, the line would just cut my hands open. Yeah. Like it would pull, you know, the only time I've hand lined was when I was sailing on the Pacific and we would literally like leave a line out on the um, side of the boat while you're going along but if you saw something tugging on it it was kind of your job to like put the gloves on and hold it in I got a tuna that way not a big one like I was gonna ask if you wore gloves because I feel like that yes is a safety feature you need yes yeah the only time I've handlined was when I found a snook in the um fucking piping that goes to the filtration system in the aquaculture park like it had jumped into the filtration system yeah and I had I was like let me see if I can handline to get this thing out so I'd put like a piece of shrimp on like an end of like a fishing line and just drop it down in there I'm like maybe it'll come and it was swimming up at least for like a little bit I was like getting its attention yeah never caught it but I ended up dropping my phone down that uh filtration pipe and that was a fun time trying to get that out it's the only time I've handlined and yeah, I thought about that then too. And I was like, that would be uh, very hard to do. Yeah, it, it was not easy and it did hurt, but I didn't like cut myself. But these guys didn't have anything like that. They didn't have gloves. Um, yeah, so they, they were just got, like really tough hands. Yeah. So initially they survived on whatever fish they could catch, coconuts, um, seabirds and seabird eggs that first night, which was uh, partially how they got uh, more hydration. Um, so that they could explore the island further. Um, They also made a pact on the first day to live on the island just as they had been raised, saying, whatever you get, you share. So they decided, well, that's the thing, like, you're not going to survive if you're hoarding. Well, you might survive if you're hoarding resources, but you're going to watch all your friends die around you. Yeah. So they began exploring the island, climbing to the top of the island, which turned out was an ancient volcanic crater. So there was like a crater that they could climb down into, mm-hmm. right? And inside was the remains of a Pacific Island society that had lived there a century before. Oh, wow. Um, but they were no longer there. So this included wild taro which is a starchy root vegetable, somewhat akin to a potato. Um, and is what poi is made out of. If you've ever um, had poi when you go to Hawaii, it's like this uh, starchy purple mashed potato kind of deal. It's really interesting. Um, mm. And so they also found uh, bananas um, that had been cultivated 
along with the tarot, obviously they were just kind of growing at this point, but originally the society that had lived there before were cultivating both the tarot and the bananas. So there were like banana trees. Yeah. There. Yeah. Okay. Um, they also found chickens that had oh, been re- uh, reproducing for a hundred years since the last, last Tongans left. Got a lot of eggs around there. Uh, and chicken. So yeah, and chicken. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I know there's chicken too. <laughs> That's how you get eggs. <sighs> yeah. So the Tongans who had lived there prior, um, basically what had happened to them, unfortunately, is they had been captured by slavers in 1863 and sold into slavery, the whole society on this island. And the island has been remained uninhabited since. Why did that it always event. be slavery? I know. So once they had found this bounty and realized survival was very, very possible, the boys set up a roster for chores to maintain the resources. So they tended to the taro and banana plants left behind, basically farming them, um, mm-hmm. as well as catching the wild chickens, which they would eat the meat, occasionally drink the blood. Mm. Um, especially when they were low on water during the dry season, which did happen. There was, so where were they collecting water then? I'm assuming they're collecting rainwater, but like they have to have a large reservoir. I'm assuming. Yeah. They were collecting rainwater during the rainy season, but at some point, like there's no more rain essentially. And so they, they could store some water. I think maybe they built some cisterns. Um, well, and then it gets hot too. I'm sure like the condensation and evaporation happens. Yes. It's yes. Like stored for too long too. Exactly. So at some point they would be drinking like the eggs and the chicken blood to um, survive essentially. Gross. I can't Which, blood. But I'd it. rather do that than, I, I think if I was thirsty enough, I could fucking do it. I, really I think do. if I was thirsty enough, I could do it too. But like, I don't think my body could do it. I think I would vomit it back up, and that's the problem. And that's why I think I would never survive is because I would just vomit right away. Fair enough. Things. And then, Fair I just enough. My, you know, like yeah, yeah, I, I do just know. make myself more dehydrated. Yeah, I think the taste would be the hardest for me to get past. Yeah, but I have a pretty strong stomach, so I think I'd be okay. I don't. My stomach is, uh, if there's an ache in there, I'm down for the count. (laughs) It's not a good time for me. So they also had kitchen duty for cooking and guard duty for looking out for boats on the horizon. So they literally always had somebody looking for, um, people to come rescue them, which is pretty smart. They Mm. started this off super dumb and now they're like getting their shit together. (laughs) where was this like at the beginning (laughs) yeah and I'm thinking about I'm like I feel like in the previous stories that we've talked about like most of the time it's the other way around yeah they started off super smart (laughs) and then like their survival is super dumb and then that's why they all die (sighs) I mean they did luck into the resources but the fact that they were like no we're gonna like tend this crop like we're gonna like make sure structure yeah yeah, they had structure to their survival which I feel like is very important yes Um, and they were all cooperative too which is also really important right which is where this varies very differently from the lord of the flies which is so weird to me that that's what it gets called is the Tongan lord of the flies because that's not what this was at all yeah 
So in addition, uh, they had fire tending duty um, in which they tended a permanent fire that never went out for 15 months in the hopes that passing ships would cease the smoke from it. That's smart. Yeah. So they like, they're smart. Like they, I just don't know why, like at the beginning they were like, yeah, this is going to be easy. (laughs) I, I guess eight days without like food or water kind of slaps you in the face a bit. I would assume so. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that was part of it. I don't know. Or maybe they were just like, well, yeah, like you said, slaps you in the face. So they're like, fuck. Yeah. Figure this one out. (laughs) And I wonder if like during those eight days, they like kind of talked about what they needed to do too. Like if they were to find some sort of land. Yeah. They kind of maybe already had pre-planned some stuff too. That's true. That's very true. So speaking of that, sometimes they would have arguments because of course you would. Yeah. You're stuck in the same spot with the same people. Like you can't get away. But they agreed to solve these arguments by imposing a timeout and cool off period for the individuals involved. So they would send them off and be like, you go away and just think about your shit. Um, It was like literally like a timeout corner. Yeah. 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 Um, So they could later come together and solve it. Um, So nighttime around the fire was kind of a time for airing grievances and solving problems. Um, So that was kind of their chance to solve it in like a very um, supplies manner. Yeah, I which feel is, like this would have been a group that would use a talking stick. Yes. And whoever holds the talking stick, <laughs> it's their time to talk and then they pass it to the next person. Exactly. And which is super mature for uh, 13 and 16 year olds. Yes. Yes. So eventually they actually became relatively comfortable since they had most of their needs met usually. Um mm-hmm. And they began creating other things, um, including a weight set so they could work out. <laughs> nice. And Colo crafted a guitar from driftwood, a coconut shell, and six, six steel wires that they salvaged from the boat. Mm-hmm. And they would begin and end each day with a song and a prayer. Oh, Which cute. is another way to kind of like, don't go to bed angry kind of thing. Yeah. To kind of like refocus. It's like, they're at, it's like they're at confirmation camp, except it's like very much not confirmation camp. Except you're drinking chicken blood. Yeah. Like I don't survival camp 101. <laughs> um during the summer, uh, which was the dry season, it would hardly rain, which would drive them crazy with thirst. But like I said, they would often drink chicken blood when they were really low on water. Uh, they also attempted to build a raft to get off the island, but the raft was dashed to pieces in the waves. So instead they focused on spotting ships on the horizon and tending to the fire as like their means to get rescued. Yeah. It's like, you can't really do much else. I feel like. Right. I mean, setting a drift on the Pacific ocean in a fucking raft. I not ideal, especially when they had food on the island you know (laughs) like a lot of it comparatively it's Um, like outweigh like the risk outweighs the uh reward yeah Yeah. thank you risk reward that's what i was looking for and i can tell you based on my time out in the pacific and from other survival accounts there are areas of the pacific ocean that are akin to a desert as far as life is concerned 
Yeah. Like there are areas, huge swaths that do not have like fish even, you know? Yeah. It's just like, why would you? Right. It's, um, is it even used for like transient fish? Yeah, it is. Like it's more like a highway more than consider how big the Pacific ocean is. Right. Yeah. It covers like a third of the planet. It's fucking huge. First of all, second of all, it's kind of a boom and bust kind of ecosystem where all of the fish are following around the plankton blooms. So if you're in an area with a plankton bloom and there's bait fish that follow and the bigger predators follow that. Mm -hmm. So you could do really well, but there are other areas that have nothing for, for thousands of miles. Yeah. And so that's why it's akin to a desert. It's a very boom and bust kind of ecosystem. Like when it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's bad. Exactly. So gotcha. Um, So they would often climb around on the cliffs just to get around the island or to go hunting for seabird eggs. Um, One day, due to the treacherousness of the lava rock cliffs on the island, Stephen slipped and fell off a cliff and broke his leg. Yeah. Yeah. The other boys found him and helped him back up to the top somehow and using sticks and leaves set his leg oh god yeah be so it's gonna hurt yeah no no morphine no painkiller none of that yeah so they let him rest while the others basically picked up his work knowing that if he rested like his leg would heal hopefully Mm -hmm. um and he could get back to helping them but uh on September 11th, 1966, 15 months after they had disappeared, an Australian man named Peter Warner set eyes on the island of Atta. Peter was the son of Arthur Warner, who was one of the richest men in Australia who created the company Electronic Industries. Instead of following in his father's footsteps, he also ran away at the age of 17 in search of adventure and learned how to sail. So his ordeal went a little bit better than theirs. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. While he eventually took a job at his father's company, he would sail whenever he could and kept a fishing fleet in Tasmania that he profited from and often went out to sea with to go fishing. He was on his way home from a fishing trip in Tonga when he noticed something odd about the desolate island of Ata. He was sailing past he saw burned patches on the green cliffs of this island. Yeah. He knew signals were working. Exactly. He knew it was odd for fires to start simultaneously in the tropics because it's too wet and the abundance of moisture in the air generally prevents wildfires from happening. Mm -hmm. Um, So he thought that was really weird. And then he spotted a boy half naked with long hair jumping from the cliff side into the water. And then five more boys followed all screaming at the top of their lungs. Oh, wow. So that was how they were like getting the attention was they would just jump off the cliff so they could see visually. Yep. Yep. Which is scary enough as it is. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, So it was the Tongan castaways. Uh, Steven, who's the one with the broken leg, was the first to reach the boat. And explained in English the boy's predicament. 
At first, Peter didn't believe them. He thought that they were just making shit up because they looked far too healthy yeah. like, to have been there for, for like 15 months. But he radioed the capital of Tonga um, to explain what he had found. And uh-huh. um, the radio operator told him to stand by. So wow. 20 minutes later, a very tearful radio operator responded saying, you found them. These boys had been given up for dead. Funerals have been held. If it's them, it's a miracle. Oh, wow. So Peter then realized he had stumbled across something incredible. Um, so if you go to slide three, um, you can see the Tongan castaways and Peter Warner on Peter's fishing boat in 1967. And this is like a couple of days after they were rescued. They look healthy. Yeah. They also look like full grown ass men. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> I'm wow. telling you, they, they built different. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, They're good for them. They got rescued. Yeah. So Peter Warner's um, the uh, third from the left. That's Peter. And okay. Then he, the one two the of his, shirt. Yeah. Two of his crew members and then all the other boys surrounding. Um, but yeah, they look really good. All things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. And it- the one with the broken leg doesn't even look like he's got a broken leg. Right. Like, everyone's like standing up or kneeling. It's like, yep. which I'll get to. That would hurt. Yeah. Um, so upon their return to Tonga, doctors were amazed at the boy's health, including Stephen's fully healed and correctly set leg. So it had oh my fully God. healed at this time. Golly. And they had said it correctly. Wow. How? <laughs> I can barely patch up my husband's pinky finger. I know. <laughs> I don't even, I can't even put sunscreen on right. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. So unfortunately, however, the law caught up with them and they were thrown the in law? jail. The law. Oh, because they stole the boat in the first place. Yeah. yeah. I was like, so, what did they do wrong? <laughs> forgot about the boat. Yeah. So they got thrown in jail. <laughs> As oh, soon as God. they reached Tonga. And this is because Taniela uh, Uhila was still pissed at them that they had stolen his boat and were pressing charges. Gosh, you know, if someone stole my boat and they were gone for 15 months and they people we thought they were dead and then they came back alive, I'd be like, you know what? It's fine. They probably went, <laughs> they probably went through enough to, <laughs> to learn their lesson. Um, so Peter Warner got word of this and he had grown to care for the boys during their time on his boat while they were sailing to Tonga because like he ran away at 17 too to go Mm -hmm. sailing so he you know understood and um decided to use his wealth and privilege to help them out of their predicament um he knew the story was Hollywood material and called up the manager of channel seven in Sydney giving them the Australian rights to the story and he would retain rights to the story in the rest of the world. Okay. Um, so he used that to uh, get them, basically bail them out of jail and paid Uhila 150 pounds for the boat and got the boys released on the condition that they would cooperate for like a movie or a documentary or whatever. Yeah. And of course they were like, yeah, whatever. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Just get me out of here. Yeah. Um. 
So once the boys were returned to their families, almost the entire island of Ha'afeva, a population of 900 people, uh, turned out to welcome them home. Um, but their Peter received so a message from King Tawafa Ahau to Pau the fourth, inviting him for an audience with the king. The king thanked him for rescuing six of his subjects and asked if there's anything the king could do for Peter. Uh, Peter uh, told the king that he wanted to start a lobster fishery in Tonga, which I believe they have like spiny, some species of spiny lobster. Okay. Um, allowing him to fish in Tonga waters, which it was not really um, outsiders, especially white people were not really allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, or the king did oblige. Um, and then Peter was uh, commissioned a new ship and hired the six boys as a crew, giving the boys the freedom that they had hoped for when they had set out on that stolen boat those many months ago. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. So we can go back to our uh, two, slide two and three. Yeah. Um, so they, they did go like back. <laughs> yeah. So they did go back to like reenact their ordeal for like the news um, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But you can tell like they are all in ridiculously good health. <laughs> yeah. They don't even look like they're 13 or 16. They look like they're like in their 20s. They do look like they're they're buff as shit, and I think yeah. this wasn't that far after you know they got rescued. Yeah, um, I mean, well, even on the rescue photo, they look the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> even if it was after like a while, they yeah. still look the same. And so there's pictures of them like building different things, um, as well as like catching fish and. This one boy is eating them raw, which I guess yeah, like catch... ripping it with his jaws, just like yeah, annihilating it. Which if you don't have a knife, like that's what you sense. gotta do. Yeah. Um, plus if you catch them fresh enough, like you can eat fish raw. We we all eat sushi, yeah. so yeah, tuna, they just do that on the boat. So yeah, a little snack, <laughs> little ceviche. Hell mm-hmm. yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool to see, kind of like, you know, what the living conditions might have been like and we'll post those on the instagram yeah so peter and the boys remain close friends for the rest of their lives mano who is now 73 is uh one of the few boys who's still alive and is head pastor for the church of tonga oh cute yeah uh luke uh, vecoso is 72 and relocated to the u.s and is now a retired um pacific heavyweight boxing champion which like oh wow was he the most buff one in those photos because i could see that (laughs) (laughs) i yeah maybe um their story was featured on bregman's humankind which was catapulted back into the spotlight in 2020 when we all needed a feel-good kind of story yeah Bregman told people, we've been telling ourselves uh, cynical stories about humanity for decades. A more hopeful view of human nature is exactly what we need right now. We can't allow ourselves to be cynical these days. The challenges are too big. The story of the Tongan castaways really touched a lot of people in 2020. As we all entered the uncertain times of the COVID-19 pandemic, and this story showed us um, that human compassion can win out. And these six boys proved that working together 
to overcome enormous odds and survive and honestly thrive because because <laughs> they look great they look amazing um yeah and, and good slide four uh shows peter warner um and the 73 73 year old mano uh total who is the um head of the pastor of the church of tonga yeah so unfortunately there were not a lot of pictures for these stories and i i need to read i really want to read the um bregman's um humankind book yeah yeah because i feel like he probably did a lot of a lot of awesome research for this so so that is the story i liked it it was a good one i know it didn't even Every- seem all that like scary. It's like, oh, these boys stole a boat, it got lost, and then like 15 months later got found. <laughs> but like consider like, I mean, they did have a lot of resources, but you'd have to know what to do with a tarot plant. You'd have to know yeah. how to catch a fucking chicken. You'd have to be willing to drink chicken blood. Chicken blood yeah. They had to survive the eight day ordeal out on the water. Like, yeah they might not have found that island in the first place. Like they were lucky that they yeah. ran into it. Yes. Cause a lot, a lot of people just die out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh so. gosh. What a story. Yep. And I like how you kind of related it back to like the beginnings of quarantine and stuff like that too. Yeah. And made me, you remember like when the pandemic first happened and everyone was like, oh, it'll be two weeks. It's fine. And then like the longer it went, the more panicked people got. And now we're just like numb to everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, this is what it is. And well, and, and that's the thing. It's like, I don't, I don't know that all of us have taken stories like this to heart or like understand that yeah. it's, we got to work together to deal with this event and you know we haven't really been doing that as a society but so anyway so i thought we could use this kind of feel-good story yeah um i have another feel-good story coming up in like two episodes but the next one is gonna be a true crime related so uh, don't tempt me with a good time or a good crime okay (laughs) (laughs) um so i'm excited for that but anyway uh so let's talk about happy things even though i don't know that we really need to but let's talk about it anyway yeah sure what's your happy thing i kind of kicked off the podcast with a happy thing so yeah you did um my happy thing is um i guess i have two one my bar cart looks fucking amazing. I need to oh, does send it? you. Yeah, send me pics. Yeah. And two, I wallpapered part of my bathroom and it also looks really amazing. That's so I've so been, good. yeah, I've been doing like some at home DIYs lately, which have been kind of fun. I love that for you. Yeah. I yeah. love a good at home DIY. Here, I will send them to you so you yeah. can see. Right. Every Fucking. weekend I get my coffee and I watch HGTV and that's how I wake up. And I do uh, in my crosswords. I'm such a I grandma. live for it. <laughs> I have a very um colorful home style. Like personal. I like it though. Yes. Um, so here's the bar cart. Oh, that's super cute. I like the wallpaper that you put in there. Yeah. I've been using that a lot in my house, but that's like your favorite color too, isn't it? Oh that, yeah. Like, blue tealy kind of color because isn't yeah. your 
your living room is that color mm -hmm. yeah it's the, exactly that color actually it's leftover wait paint. that wallpaper looks good in your bathroom too uh, i know get out of town jillian that looks so good you can't look too closely though because there's <laughs> the wrinkle in it yeah <laughs> that's fair but i did that's my okay. best <laughs> that looks good that yeah looks so, so good. i'm having fun with that um maybe if we have room on uh instagram i'll post them but uh and then my other thing is kind of a uh, thing kind of a good thing so i'm gonna be traveling for like the next three weekends yeah. um so but also fun yeah um and i'm going home to see my brother wait when and, are you going home um the 8th through the 16th of may oh, i'm just gonna miss you yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, he is graduating from Virginia Tech and getting commissioned oh, nice. into the army. So we are going cool. down to Yay, see my Ethan. family. Mm -hmm. He made nice. it. He made it. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I'm going home this coming weekend for my grandmother's funeral, but it's just going to be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday type of deal real quick. And then. Yeah. So you will just miss. Yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. Literally, I'm just missing you. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah, we also have a wedding next or actually this upcoming weekend. Um, we're going to Omaha and Omaha is like not the most exciting place in the world. But then I realized like we have no plans other than like hanging out with people and going to the wedding. So it's going to be kind of like a nice chill time. Yeah. And like we'll get to sleep in and like take it easy and like we won't have because usually on vacation I'm like we got this we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this and we're gonna it's like this. a planning activity type of vacation yeah I yeah gotcha. but like there's nothing that exciting to do in this town other than yeah I don't know eat and drink Peyton uh, Manning made it seem a lot more um I don't know attractive right because he was always like Omaha whenever he'd like do his football plays yeah <laughs> hey, that's right <laughs> that's like whenever i hear omaha now i just hear paint manning's voice Omaha. yeah <laughs> oh my god Corey's like uh we should go toward the omaha steak uh factory and i'm like let's not <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that'd be a very depressing place <laughs> yeah so congratulations um, to ethan that's great yeah uh engineering and cool. uh he did the core of cadets which is like halfway between going to an, uh, an academy and ROTC. Like it's okay. harder than regular ROTC, but like, you're not at not an academy. Yeah. But you're not yeah. at an, a, a military academy. You're at like a public school. So yeah, it's not like West Point. No, it's not like West Point, but, uh, yeah. So that's, you You're got good a good thing. thing. Um, good thing. Oh, go. <laughs> big update. Um, I can't believe I almost forgot this. I bought a fixer upper <laughs> a house. Yeah. What? So uh. that's, that's been, yeah, a major development in my life. Um, so that's why I love all the interior design stuff that you've been doing. Cause I was, I've been on home Depot and looking at wallpaper and stuff. And, uh, I was going to do what you did in your bathroom. I was going to do in one of the bathrooms. Yes. Oh my and God. I'm going to send you a photo of it when it's done. But yeah, so the closing date is July 13th. It might get pushed up a little bit, but I am getting out of this shitty landlord housing situation that I am in right now. And then I congrats and fix that. So it's good. That's so it's, exciting. It's a livable fixer upper, which is ideal. 
And yeah. there's like not too much wrong with it. It's really a lot of it is just cosmetic. Like it was made in the eighties and it stayed in the eighties. Right. So, yeah. And that's fine. That's the yeah. fun. Cause that's the fun stuff that you get yeah. to like redo instead of like do, dealing with like structural shit, you know? Exactly. It's a lot of cosmetic. Like, I mean, yeah. um, all the windows are broken. Like they don't open. They're just sealed shut. And they're so like, that's something it's like the windows are going to need, need to be replaced. And if, yeah. like, if we're replacing the windows, we might as well put hurricane grade windows in, which will yes. lower the insurance and you don't have to put shutters up. So yeah. that'll yeah. be a thing. It's like all paneling on the inside. Cause that was like the, the 80s. thing. So yeah. it's like put up some drywall, make it look a little bit better. And mm-hmm. the AC is like the wall unit ACs. So take those out, put splitters in like, it's like stuff like that. Yeah, just kind of needs to bring it up to 2022. That's um, a, that's so exciting. I'm honestly yeah. really jealous. We talked about buying here, but considering that we don't necessarily want to stay in Texas for the foreseeable future, we're like, we'll just we'll just rent rent it out. Yeah, we go somewhere that we really want to be. Um, yeah, I really don't see myself leaving here. So I don't I, blame you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like my job and I like where I live, and I just I it's. I'm good here. You know, there's yeah. no, I, there's like, you know, every, every place you live in, is going to have like the things that you don't like about it. Like, I don't like how yeah. it takes me forever to drive some other place in Florida. Yeah. Um, like, I don't like how I have to pay a couple hundred bucks to fly somewhere, but I mean, that's just kind of, mm-hmm. I, I live in a vacation area. So it's like, right, why, right. why would I want to leave? And like, you know, the outdoorsy life here, like, yeah, there's no hiking really, but there are trails that you can walk and so I'm, I'm staying on big pines, which is nice. Cause it's like yeah. the, the more nature key. Um, yeah. and I'm not going very far from where I'm currently at. So I can still use all the same trails and things like that, that I've been walking gotcha. on, which is nice. But I mean, like, honestly, uh, if I live there, I would fucking snorkel every damn day. Like that's, well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, you can, you can paddleboard. Like it was one of those things. Like I considered Key West too, but I'm like, that's just, it's Key West it's ex- is nice. Expensive. It's, ex- it's, a lot more expensive yeah. down there than it is up here. My dog is staring at me like she wants something from me. So okay. I'm going to wrap this up. This up. Um, yeah, it's all good. But uh, yeah, so if you want any help on like cheaper DIY kind of stuff to help like fix a space uh, either temporarily or permanently, um, please text me. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we can consult my mom who's a professional, um, interior, yes. um, decorator and designer. And so, yeah, like we would love to help you because that's like what we love to do. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, please uh, do, if you have a, I, a question, I will, I've been making mood boards on Canva. I've been like screenshotting oh things from like home Depot and Wayfair and yes. stuff and like adding them to like a page on Canva. So it's yeah. all, I'll have to send you what I'm going to make the second bedroom look like. Yeah. I am um, so excited for you. Cause I yeah. have loved doing that to this house. It's been so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for sure. Yeah. And then what, if you and Corey and Mars, you ever want to come visit now, you know, you got a free place to stay. I know. And that's why I was also <laughs> going to bring up like next time we're in the keys. Cause we will be back to the keys just yeah. not this fucking year because it's the wedding. It's a lot for sure. No, same. But, I agree. Um, but like the yard we, is fenced. So, I mean, yeah, we would love to come down. We really yeah. would. Um, just let we, me know. My parents will be coming down a lot too now. So just got to well, yeah, work, we'll, work around the par- parents. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously a schedule way in advance. Um, yeah. cause I'm a planner. Damn it. Yeah. Um, Okay, so <laughs> where other things list- that we need to talk about? <laughs> oh, I got to do my citations. Okay, yeah. real quick. 
Um, so my citations are the real Lord of the Flies. What happened when six boys were shipwrecked for 15 months by Rutger Bregman um, for the Guardian. The real Lord of the Flies, a survivor's story of shipwreck and salvation by Kate Lyons, um, also for the Guardian. And inside the Lord of the Flies survival of six Tongan boys 54 years ago, the story we need now by Sanda So. Bier Raj Westfall and Diane Herbst uh, for People Magazine. Um, okay, so where can our listeners find us? If you guys would like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Mother, oh, excuse me, I always get this wrong. We're on Twitter as MNWKY Podcast. And we have our website, which is mother nature will kill you podcast.com. And we're on all streaming platforms. So that is Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, um, what have you. So you can find us anywhere. Yeah. And if uh, you want to submit a personal survival story of your own, like my mom did last week with her quicksand <laughs> survival, um, you can, um, go to our website. Um, we have a story submission section where you just go type it in and send it off to us. Um, and you don't have to have gotten stranded on a deserted island for 15 months with your five best friends. But if you have, we want to hear about it. <laughs> um, but it can be anything that just kind of made you uncomfy when you're out in nature or, you know, just kind of icky feeling a little scary or you know a true honest to god survival story you know anything yep. like that uh we're just looking for personal stories um in addition if you want to help out the podcast um but don't want to spend any money because we live in a capitalist hellscape uh you can give us a five-star review um on any of the listening platforms um to help boost us up the algorithm so that more people will uh hopefully find us and listen to us um yeah we had a really nice five-star review comment from a listener a couple weeks ago yeah but it was the one that we i think we read it online oh yeah we did it to you yeah Mm -hmm. it was really sweet i still think about that i know that's really nice (laughs) like somebody (laughs) likes to listen to our rambles um so if you are still listening to our rambles uh thank you for listening um and uh go look on our instagram to check out pictures from this story i will see you in two weeks um so with that until next time listeners or explorers (laughs) whatever you want to call yourselves (laughs) stay safe but most of all stay curious explorers see you later goodbye i am gonna go to brunch now Hell yeah.